Please turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 24. Daniel 6, 1 through 24. Let me remind you that Israel was once a united kingdom for a while. It wasn't long before that united kingdom divided into two kingdoms with ten tribes to the north called Israel. However, in 710 BC, Assyria came and conquered them. The remaining two tribes in the south were called Judah, and it was around 600 B.C. that the Babylonians invaded Judah three times with the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple during their third assault in 586 B.C. So the Babylonians came in. They conquered. They took the wealthiest and the most distinguished people of the land, along with the most valuable treasures of the temple, and they sent them all off to Babylonia. The prophet Ezekiel was himself among these captives, along with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were deported around 605 B.C., not long before the eventual destruction of Jerusalem. Last week, we looked at chapter 3, if you remember, where faithful Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to the king's pagan image of gold, even though it meant being thrown into a blazing, fiery furnace. And while they trusted that God could deliver them from the fire, that didn't really matter to them. No, they still were not going to bow down. Why not? Here's why. Because they love the Lord. Because they serve the Lord. And the Lord is clear. Worship Him and Him alone. So they said, God will deliver us, but if not, we're still not going to bow down. I love that. They were then thrown into the fiery furnace, but miraculously, God did indeed deliver them. Sometimes He does that, and sometimes He doesn't do that. But that doesn't matter, right? Glorifying God, pleasing God, obeying God, honoring God is always, always, always worth it, whether He delivers us or not. See, our call is to trust Him. Our call is to refuse to compromise what we know God desires for us. Our call is to stand even when everyone else is bowing down when standing glorifies and honors your God. We're now going to jump ahead three chapters to Daniel chapter 6. And note that this is a major jump. In fact, the book of Daniel isn't always chronological because the events in chapters 7 and 8 and then the first part of chapter 9 happen before Daniel chapter 6. It's now about 538 BC. Daniel is now over 80 years old. And Daniel has been deported and in Babylon for the last 70 years. King Nebuchadnezzar had come and gone, and so has Belshazzar who replaced him. Belshazzar, the prideful king who saw the writing on the wall. Chapter 5, verse 30 tells us what happened to Belshazzar. It says this, That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So now, the Babylonian empire has fallen. It is done. And a new empire has risen. The empire of the Medes and the Persians. Darius is now the king of this new empire. Who's Darius? We're not exactly sure because we have very little information about Darius except that he is now the king. Some believe that because the name Darius is actually a title, which it is, 
that Darius is just another name for Cyrus, who was the king who was reigning when Ezra went back from Babylon to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And that timeline fits, and that's just right, right there in that same time. Either way, Darius is now ruling over the new empire, and look, Just as Daniel faithfully served the Babylonian Empire for almost 70 years, and even though the Babylonian Empire has now been replaced by that of the Medes and the Persians, no matter, Daniel kept on serving. Now you have your sermon outline, and there's nothing fancy about it. Anybody ever notice that? But people who are smarter than me have outlined this chapter in this way. The position, the plot, the prayer the prosecution, and the protection. Another had a shorter outline. Liars, laws, and lions. And then another had this. Favored, framed, faithful, fed, and freed. Like I said, they're much more clever than I am, but regardless of the outline, the text is absolutely amazing. And my prayer is that it will affect us greatly for the glory of God. Let's find out what happened. Verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was any any error found or, or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and they said to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. So now look, Darius is now ruling this new Medo-Persian empire and he needs to get organized. So what does he do? He does this. He sets up 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. What are satraps? And by the way, I looked up how to say it. I'm saying it correctly just in case. Satrap. The satraps were the top governors and provinces of the empire. These guys represented the authority of the king in civil and military matters. And they supplied the means for maintaining the king's sovereignty over the whole empire. Satrap also collected taxes for the king. He even had his own court, and he had absolute civil authority. And a satrap was a very powerful person. And the fact that there were 120 of them says a lot about the extent of this kingdom. On top of the 120 satraps, Darius placed three governors to be administrators over them. And look, Daniel was one of those three. He was one of those three governors. How is that possible? I mean, Daniel was a very high-ranking official in the Babylonian Empire, which had just been conquered. 
So how is Daniel alive right now? Let alone, how is Daniel getting promoted in this new Medo-Persian empire? Here's how. The Lord. That's the only answer. The sovereign hand of the Lord, for as one said, God's man is immortal until God's purpose for his life is accomplished. And that's absolutely right. Now think about that. I mean, it's a very high position. On top of that, and the first truth to observe from this passage, is that Daniel distinguished himself above the other two governors and far, far above the 120 satraps. The tense of the word distinguished in verse 3 means that he constantly distinguished himself above the others. And clearly, Daniel was the best governor in the entire Medo-Persian empire, just as Daniel was the best governor in the previous empire, the Babylonian empire, and it showed. Look, Darius needs the best men to lead, and Daniel was clearly, very clearly, the best man. Side note, he's old. Another side note, being old didn't mean that God couldn't still use him mightily or that he couldn't still greatly glorify God with his precious remaining days. Is that encouraging to anyone? If you're 80 or above, will you please stand up? God has you here for a reason, right? And if he didn't have a reason for you to be here, you'd already be in glory. So glorify him, redeem the time. Pray much, draw near to God, encourage others, and don't let your age be an excuse for you to get spiritually lazy, especially in light of the fact that the time is short. God can use you. God can use you mightily. Yes, He can. God wants you here for His divine purposes because you're here. So get on with it right where He has you. Okay, you can sit down. You're a blessing to us. You're a blessing to us and a great encouragement to all of us. So, the word distinguished means to be different. And clearly, Daniel was different from everyone else. Why? This. He had an excellent spirit, verse 3. The word excellent means extraordinary, superior to, and outstanding. That was Daniel. Spirit here refers to attitude and to ability it's probably referring to daniel's good attitude in his work and in his life yes but also to the spirit of knowledge that he had in civil affairs to his prudence in managing those affairs and then to his general integrity that was clearly seen throughout his entire life and while this was all something that was given to him by god look even a pagan king recognized his excellent spirit Clearly, Daniel stood out very clearly. He had a God-given wisdom that stood out. He was able to interpret dreams, which was a very unique gifting by God during that amazing time in history. He was an excellent leader, and he had an integrity that stood above the integrity of all the other people around him. And so an excellent spirit of attitude and of ability was easy for people to notice. It just seemed to ooze out of him because it was a part of him. Isn't that how it should be for the people of God who have the Spirit of God living inside of us? Note this. Daniel had this excellent spirit because of his faith and because of his trust in the Lord. He loved the Lord and he was out to glorify God with his fading life and that's why he did what he did. Well, 
The king easily noticed the difference in Daniel, and so he sought to set Daniel over the entire realm. What does that mean? Well, why have three leaders over the whole kingdom when you can have one who's going to do it better than the three? See? Yes, there were three governors, Daniel being one of them, but Daniel far excelled over the other two, and if Daniel's going to do the job, and if Daniel can be trusted, then why have the other two there? See, the other two muddy the water. The other two leave room for betrayal. The other two could make this harder rather than easier when Daniel can handle it and when Daniel can be trusted with it. So the king was thinking of making Daniel over the whole realm answering only to him. Second, the governors and satraps sought to bring a charge against Daniel, but they couldn't. Look what happened. Daniel stands out from the others and they get jealous. (laughs) I mean, Daniel's excellent spirit and his godly integrity didn't win him friends on all sides. In fact, it brought him some very powerful enemies. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I mean, look, Daniel's just trying to glorify God with his life. That's all Daniel's trying to do. He, he loved the Lord who saved him by grace through faith. He's a true believer and his only aim is to please his God and that's what he's doing and God is opening up doors for him and he's faithfully walking through those doors but he doesn't care about being the leader of of the empire now he just wants to glorify God he doesn't care about the approval of sinful people no he just wants to glorify God see he had this conviction as a young man and he has the same conviction as an old man he's just seeking to glorify God but look the others don't like it I think they were jealous, especially the other two governors. Three of us are supposed to be ruling. But the king just wants Daniel. No way I'm going to let that happen. I need power. It makes me feel bad. Others believe that these people, the other two governors and the 120 satraps, were typical government officials, so they were corrupt. I hope that doesn't offend anybody. They were corrupt, which sadly is true much of the time. And as one said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that reality is easy to see. And it was indeed a problem even in Daniel's day. But guess what? Daniel wasn't corrupt. And as Daniel wasn't going to let any corruption happen under him on his watch, then those corrupt politicians who were under him were certainly not happy with him. And look, they all conspired to bring a charge against Daniel. Daniel needs to go. He's greatly hindering us. He's not letting us get away with anything. We can't take any money on the side or or get power. We we can't lie, cheat, or steal. Something's wrong here. He's such a goody-goody. Why can't he mind his own business? But look, he can't. Why? Because he's a godly man. He has a job to do, and he's going to do it as under the Lord. And he knows that God is watching because guess what? God is indeed watching. And so they conspired. How? Well, they wanted to bring a charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. What does that mean? Well, certainly Daniel is skimming some money off the top, right? Certainly Daniel's cooking the books in some way for his own personal gain. I mean, everybody does that. Certainly Daniel is neglecting his duties in some form, or else there's at least some kind of corruption in Daniel. I mean, isn't that the case with everybody? Nope. Not everyone, right? Not Daniel. Look, Daniel was faithful, verse 4. They could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. How awesome is that? How rare is that? They dug, they searched, 
They checked his computer search history and they checked his phone. They, they taped his conversations. They dug and they dug and they dug. They didn't find anything. They didn't find not one thing. I mean, their hands are all dirty from all their digging. Nothing. They looked deeply and intently into his closets. Guess what? No skeletons. They put him under the microscope. They found nothing still. Now think about that. I mean, how many of us have lives that could bear that kind of scrutiny? Not just in the past, but even right now, even today. Well, God knows, so we have to deal with that. But they found nothing. There was no error, which was an omission of that which ought to be done, or fault, which was any kind of perversion or deterioration of moral principles that might be found in him. None. None. Why not? Because Daniel was faithful. Faithful means to trust, and because of Daniel's saving faith in God, he was therefore faithful to his God. Now clearly Daniel was a true believer who had already entrusted his soul into the care of God Almighty many decades ago. He is a saved man, and he loves the Lord God Almighty with passion. He loves the Lord God Almighty with fervor, and it's very clear. And clearly, his motive and aim in life is to glorify God. And this is a deep conviction for him. This is a passionate love that compels him forward, ever forward, which naturally leads to a life of godliness, integrity, conviction, truthfulness, faithfulness, and a hatred of sin, and a pursuit of holiness. Why? Because he loves God. And love compels him to glorify God and to please God. And the godly life pleases God. What about you? Are you faithful to God, to His Word, to glorifying Him with your short and fading life? Look, love for God propels faithfulness. And for us in Christ today... We shouldn't be scared of a microscope scrutinizing our lives. Not that we're perfect, no one is, but we're not hiding secret sin. No, we're battling sin. We're not harboring it. No, we're raging against it. We're not cuddling it and wooing it. No, we're warring against it day by day by day, see. And and not only that, we're pursuing Christ more and more and more because love causes us to pursue Him and to pursue that which pleases Him. That's Daniel. Look, his enemies found nothing, so they said in verse 5, we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Come on, how good is that? They, they knew that they would find no fault with him unless it was in regard to the law of his God. I mean, what an amazing testimonial from the enemies of Daniel. Daniel's clear. Daniel's clear. We have no doubt about Daniel's priorities. We have no doubt about who Daniel loves. Daniel is a man of integrity. Daniel lives to please an audience of one. Daniel's faithful to God, and he's not going to be bought at any price. He's clear. We know that. See, clarity. Clarity. Now, clearly, Daniel didn't hide his faith in the one true God, right? I mean, they knew, he believed, that there was only one true God, and They knew that he was committed to glorifying that one true God, and that's how they're going to get him. So now what? Third, a plot against Daniel was conceived. In verse 6, we find that the two governors and the satraps, 122 men in all, and maybe some more, but for sure them, they thronged before the king. 
Oh, King Darius lived forever as they're buttering him up and stroking his ego. We've all consulted together that you, great king that you are, you should make a decree, just, just an idea, you know, we're thinking of this, that no person can petition any god or man except you, O king. And whoever petitions any other than you should be thrown into the den of lions. What do you say to that, O king? This is sneaky. First, they're lying. Because while they said that all the leaders consulted together about this, Daniel wasn't consulted. What are they doing here? Well, petition here clearly means something more than just any old general request. Instead, this clearly is a religious issue. And this is talking about petitions in the form of prayers. So the reality is that these wicked men are trying to get Darius to pass a 30-day law forbidding anyone to pray except to Darius himself. In effect, they said, Oh, king, how would you like to be God for a month? Ooh, sounds good. I like the thought of that. Why not? And so, in his pride, Darius signed that law. And get this, he signed it knowing that it couldn't be repealed, not even by himself. Why not? Well, because they made sure of that. Verse 8, Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing, so it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. They're sneaky, right? They're sneaky. They know. And they know that Daniel's not going to stop praying to his God. I mean, they know that for a fact. And they know that Daniel will never, ever pray to another God, which is no God at all. I mean, they know that too. So Daniel was a victim of his own integrity. Daniel was predictably faithful to God. See, if he had been a flaky believer, a weak believer, a wishy-washy believer, a, a compromising believer, then this evil plot would have never, ever, ever worked. But Daniel was consistent and clear. So his troubles came not from his weakness, but from his strength, from his faithfulness, from his commitment, from his intense love for God. I mean, everyone knew who Daniel worshipped. This is a good plan. Sinful and wicked, yes, but this is a good plan that should most definitely do the trick, right? We know Daniel. We got him. Daniel's enemies were totally confident that he would rather die than disobey his God. They knew that Daniel would sooner go to the lions than give up his practice of daily prayer. And now, this ridiculous law is unbreakable, and Daniel is clearly heading into trouble. It's interesting that Daniel's name means God is my judge. How good is it that we find a man who lived up to this name? See, Daniel lived a life that shouted to, to the Lord, God is my judge, not man. I answer to God for my life, not the king, not Nebuchadnezzar, not Belshazzar, and not Darius. No, God is my judge, and my aim in life is to please him first. And that's what he did. That's what he sought. That's what his life was centered on. God and the glory of God. One said, his life and way of looking at the world was drenched with God. That's right. And it affected everything that he did. And again, everyone knew it. He was clear. We too should be 
clear. Now what? Verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. In his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. They went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. They got him. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who's one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petitions three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. He set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. He labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that this is the law of the Medes and Persians, and no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command. They brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. He is there. It's sealed. It's done. He's in the den of lions for a full night. How dramatic is this? It's dramatic, isn't it? I mean, try to go there. This is really dramatic here. Look what happened. Fourth, Daniel prayed. Anybody shocked by that? No. Look, eventually, Daniel heard about this ridiculous new law, but that had no bearing on Daniel's actions towards his God. So yeah, they made a law, but Daniel simply went back to his room and he did what he did every single day. Psalm 55, 17 says, Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. And that verse seems to have become a pattern of prayer for needy believers. And that's what Daniel did, as was his custom, every day. Now in those days, on the tops of houses, there was usually a little upper room which would allow the people a place to stay cool when it was hot. See, they didn't have glass windows, but they had lattice work over the windows. And when it was hot, they would open that up and the breeze would blow through and they would be able to cool off there on, in that room on the top of the roof. Well, Daniel used the upper room as a place for him to pray to his God three times a day. And it wasn't just an empty ritual to Daniel. No, it was real. It was heartfelt and it was passionate. Note that he was faced toward Jerusalem when he prayed because that's where the longing of his heart was. Remember, he's in exile. He's, he's, he's away. That was the place that symbolized God to him, Jerusalem. So he would regularly, three times a day, pray in that upper room in his house with that window open toward Jerusalem to his God and from his heart, rightly so, right? Rightly so. I mean, this is what God's people who love him do. We pray regularly to him we talk to him we pour out our hearts to him we make requests to him we confess our sins to him we commune with him because we love him and he hears us why did daniel pray so faithfully well because he loves his god right and he knows that god sovereignly works through the heartfelt prayers of his people so a vital prayer life was a non-negotiable thing for daniel the question is is that 
true for us. Look, God delights in the prayers of His people. And biblically, we are commanded to pray. And biblically, love for Him will compel us to pray much to our amazing God. And just think of the lame excuses that we use that hinder us from a faithful and consistent prayer life. We have work to get done. We need more sleep. We're too busy and so on. But think about this. Daniel was willing to die because of his commitment to prayer. I mean, communing with God in prayer was that important to Daniel. And we won't pray because we want to watch a lame TV show. Daniel challenges us. Today, may we rise to the challenge. So Daniel prayed regularly. And even when it became a law to stop praying to God, Daniel couldn't comply. No, he just continued to do what he always did because prayer, again, was a non-negotiable thing for him. Now, some might look at this and say, but couldn't Daniel have been a bit more discreet? I mean, he could still pray. Couldn't he have closed the window? Couldn't he have prayed in his living room when no one else would be able to see him praying? Yeah, he could have done that. But look, praying this way was his custom for probably eight decades. And and breaking that custom because of this law would have certainly been a compromise for Daniel personally. So changing his routine was something that he couldn't do. One noted this. When prayer becomes fashionable, praying in secret may be a good thing. But when prayer is prescribed... To pray in private becomes an act of cowardice. And that's exactly right. And Daniel is no coward. Look, giving in to this would mean pretending that he was complying with a decree that sought to write God out of his life. And that was something that Daniel wasn't willing to do. In fact, I believe that was something Daniel couldn't do. See, God comes first to Daniel. Oh, for more people like Daniel. In Acts 5.29, when Peter and the others were told to stop preaching the gospel, the good news of Christ, what did they do? They preached the good news. They preached the gospel of Christ. Peter said in verse 29, we ought to obey God rather than men. See, God comes first. God always comes first. Why? Love. Do you love Him? Anybody? Anybody here? Do you love Him? See, love is what compels us to do what we do. Love will compel you to obey Him, to honor Him, to glorify Him, to please Him, even if it means being thrown to the lions, because love for Him outshines every other lesser love, by far. And shouldn't it? Come on. Shouldn't we all love Jesus more than anything and everything else in life? Right? I mean, look, think about this. We're all sinners. And sin has wages, very serious wages, eternity in hell. That's the wages of sin. We're all sinners, and sin not only banishes us from heaven, but it condemns us to hell. Why? Because our God is an infinite, holy, and eternal God, and sin committed against an infinite, holy, and eternal God demands infinite and eternal wages. See, the crime of sin, every sin and its wages are so massive because of the one that the crime's has been committed against the Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Think of it like this. Heaven's perfect, and to get there, you too have to be perfect. There's no sin allowed in heaven. But here's the issue. 
Once you sin, it marks you and it demands payment. Okay, what's the payment to get clean from this sin? Death. Not just physical death, but eternal death in hell. Well then, what hope is there for sinful old me? Jesus. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is God the Son, and here's the good news. Jesus left heaven, and He came here. Jesus took on human flesh, and He lived a perfect life, and then He died on the cross, and three days later, He rose up from the dead. How how is that good news? Because of what He did on the cross for everyone who believes. What did He do? He paid the wages of the believer's sin on the cross, so we wouldn't have to pay those wages ourselves in hell. He became the believer's substitute for sin. He died and paid the wages of our sin as believers so we could be forgiven and go to heaven instead of hell. See, the Bible tells us that for everyone who believes on Christ in saving, repentant faith for forgiveness and life, look, all your sin that stains your soul, all that sin that condemns you to hell, all of that was placed onto Jesus when he was on that cross, every bit of it. And God the Father then poured out all His divine wrath against your sin onto Jesus so that He wouldn't have to pour out that wrath onto you. Jesus faced hell on the cross so you, the believer, wouldn't have to. So you, the believer, could go to heaven instead. He traded places with you. He paid your penalty. He paid your wages so that everyone who believes can now be forgiven, cleansed, and go to heaven instead of hell. Good news? Right? And, and that's why we should love Him. Yes, He's worthy. He's the only one who is truly worthy of our passionate love. But also, look what He did for us. Daniel believed. Daniel knew that God has saved his soul. But Daniel couldn't fathom the depths of what Christ would do for him Later on, down the line, on that cross. Even so, he trusted what God had told him, and he put his trust in God to save him. He was a saved man. But, 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 but we know what Christ did. We can look back at that. We know the truth. So how could we not love him with every fiber of our being? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. What else matters? And now, my life is all about loving Him and glorifying Him. I mean, how could it not be? I mean, everything else is rubbish compared to Christ, and my life now is all wrapped up in pleasing Him, the one I love. So, don't try to hinder me from drawing closer to the one I love. Don't try to hinder me from pleasing the one I love. Don't try it. What? You say I can't pray to the one I love? Not a chance. What? You say that I'm going to be thrown to the hungry lions if I talk to the one that I love? Then bring on the lions because he's the one that I'm living for. See, I'm not living for comfort and I'm not living for a life of ease and I'm not living for a painless life and I'm not living for the glory of men. I'm not. I'm living for the glory of God, the one that I love. And if glorifying Him means hardship, then bring on the hardship. And if glorifying Him means lions, then bring the lions. And if glorifying Him means death, then bring death, because He's worth it. And we should all feel the same way if we're Christians today. And this life is but a flash in the pan anyhow. (laughs) Compared to the eternity we're going to spend with Him 
And those who, under, who, who love him understand that fact. So Daniel prayed and glorified God even though he knew that it meant lions. That's the mindset of the true lovers of God. They won't compromise to, in order to make life easier for themselves. See. For Daniel, the issue was whether he was going to please man or obey God. Was he going to be loyal to his good Lord or was he going to obey a sinful government commanding him to perform idolatry? Well, that's a no-brainer for someone like Daniel. Lover of God that he was, he's now going to honor and obey God and he's willing to face the lions. So he prayed, as was his custom, and he gave thanks to God. I love that. Well, he was followed. Of course he was. And as expected... They caught Daniel praying to the Lord. So fifth, the people tattled. There's a lot of tattletales in the book of Daniel. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Oh, king, didn't you make a decree that can't be revoked? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Guess what, king? That Daniel, who's one of the captives from Judah, stop there. Why talk of Daniel like that? I mean, this is very disrespectful. Daniel was one of the top three men in all the land, and everybody knew him. Here they are blatantly being disrespectful to him, especially in light of the fact that it's been 70 years since he was deported from Judah. This Daniel doesn't show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you've signed, but makes his petitions three times a day. Uh Uh-oh. Now the king knows that he has indeed been played for a fool. Verse 14 says that he was greatly displeased with himself. Why? Well, he liked Daniel. I mean, Daniel was his best man very clearly, and now his best man's life is in jeopardy, and the king was responsible for it. It seems that the proclamation was signed in the morning. They then caught Daniel praying at around noon. They then ran back and told the king, and now he had all afternoon until the execution, which was to happen before nightfall. That's how the timeline seems to go. Now look, he can't go back on his proclamation. But even so, the king sought desperately for a way to rescue Daniel from the fate of the law that the law of the Medes and Persians dictated. How would he have done that? Well, we don't know. Some have made suggestions for how the king can rescue Daniel, for example. Find some kind of loophole in the law. Maybe there's some way around it. This one was suggested. Hide some armor and a sword in the lion's den. That was in a commentary. Feed the lion so much food that when Daniel's thrown into the lion's den, they're not hungry. Well, we don't know how this went down, but the king tried to no avail. And when the conspirators came at sunset and reminded the king that the law of the Medes and Persians could not be changed, he conceded and he made arrangements to throw Daniel into the lion's den. Note this, Daniel never says a word. You see that? He never defends himself. Why not? Well, he's guilty. All he could say was, yeah, you got me. I I was indeed praying to God. And guess what? I'm going to keep praying to God if you let me go. So there was nothing really to say, and so Daniel entrusted himself into the care of his God. Verse 16, so the king gave the command. They brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Verse 17, then a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Again, how dramatic is this? 
80-plus-year-old Daniel is brought to that den of lions, which was a sort of cave that could be sealed off with a stone, like from the top, I'm picturing it. Daniel was cast down, thrown, hurled down into that den. Now note that these are real lions who were purposely starved to be used as executioners. And they weren't just a couple of them. No, there were a lot of these lions. What was that like as the lions roar and this old man is thrown into the midst of them? And look, all the haters are smiling and laughing and gloating. What about Darius? Oh, Darius is deeply concerned for Daniel, his friend. May your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Yeah, Daniel has certainly made an impact because that's what love for the Lord does. It it shines out of God's people and it affects those people around us. Darius then had a very troubled and sleepless night as he worried about Daniel. Look, verse 18. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then a king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. When he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever from the den of the lions. My God has sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatsoever was found on him because he believed in God, in his God. And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, look at this, their children and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. So sixth, Daniel was saved and Darius honored God. And verse 25 goes on and talks about how he honored God. Look, Daniel's in the lion's den, it's sealed shut, and Darius is in for a very rough night. He returned to his palace where he spent a frantic and sleepless night unable to enjoy his usual comforts of food and music and entertainment. See, he's worried. First thing in the morning, Darius got up. He went in haste to that lion's den. He gets there, Daniel, voice quivering. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Well, of course, the Lord God Almighty is able. He can do anything. The question is, will he? right? Look, God isn't committed to our earthly comfort. He's not committed to making our path through life smooth. It's not. He's committed to sanctifying us and to demonstrating his glory in us and through us. And oftentimes that means trial, hardship, furnaces, and even lions, because it's not really about this life. No, it's about the next. So can Not can God deliver Daniel, but will God deliver Daniel? Well, I don't know. God knows the answer to that. Our call, Daniel's call, is to obey God and to trust God no matter what the outcome. So, what of Daniel? Oh, Daniel's chilling with the kitty cats. That's what Daniel's doing. What was that night like for Daniel? Look, Daniel makes it known that he wasn't alone 
in that den of lions? No, but God sent his angel to shut the mouth of those lions. Who was this angel? Well, he was either one of many angels of, of God or else he was the angel of the Lord who was Jesus himself before his incarnation like what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Either way, this angel stopped the mouths of those lions and the claws of those lions. Now think about that. Note that one angel took care of 185,000 Assyrians and slew all of them by himself. So one angel is enough. One angel is plenty, let alone Jesus himself. Question. Did Daniel get to spend all night talking to that angel who might have been Jesus? Think about that. Did he lay his head on a lion for a pillow? Did he pull the paw of the biggest lion around him to keep warm? I'm serious. What was this like for Daniel? I I don't think he's cowering in the corner here. Whatever the outcome, God was glorified, and that's what truly mattered. I mean, lion food or using the lions as a pillow isn't the point. No, glorifying God no matter what the outcome is the point, and that's the call for all of us who love God. And even if you end up as lion food, and you have been faithful, and you haven't compromised, even if you end up as lion food, you still win, because God was glorified, and you'll be in heaven anyhow. Be faithful. Don't compromise no matter what. So Daniel responded, oh, king, live forever. What a shocking sound that must have been. You think Daniel was a bit disappointed? I mean, Daniel, he's petting lions. He's talking with an angel, maybe Jesus, about eternal things. And the next thing you know, he's rudely interrupted by Darius. I'm good, Darius. (laughs) Angels, lion's mouth shut, great evening. No worries, I'm good. I was found innocent before him. I've done no wrong before God. I'm good. The king was happy, and then Daniel was taken up out of the den. And look, he wasn't hurt. Why not? Because he believed in his God. Because he trusted his God. See, Daniel believed God, and, and God honored his faith. It doesn't always happen that way. I mean, Isaiah believed God, and he got sawn in half. Paul believed God, and he eventually got his head chopped off. Peter believed in God and he got crucified upside down. See, believing in God doesn't mean that the lions aren't going to eat you. No, it means that we love him and that we trust him no matter what the outcome is. And that's our call. That's a call for all who love him to trust him and to live by faith and to not compromise. He may deliver you this time, he may not. But you still trust Him, you still obey Him, you still love Him, you still pray to Him, you still fight sin, and you still live for His glory. And whatever happens, happens, but at least God was glorified through you, see. And again, that's what matters, that's what lasts. Be like Daniel. That's what we want. Be like Daniel. Don't give way to compromise. Don't give in. Look. The government, I am fully convinced of this, the government is going to go after Christians in the near future. I am fully convinced of that fact. And here's the issue. Will we stand strong and glorify God or will we compromise and give in? 
That should be a no-brainer, right? We must stand strong and glorify God if and when they ask us to compromise and dishonor Him. We must stand strong. That comes when we love Him so much that we're willing to stay faithful to Him when the pressure comes because love compels us to glorify God above all else. Do you love Him? Anybody? Do you love Him? All right, that's better. Look, Lord help us to show it day by day by day. Because he's certainly worth it. Well, after Daniel was brought safely out of that pit, the king gave the command and brought those men who had accused Daniel and cast them into the den of lions. Look, their children and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever got to the bottom of the den. I mean, talk about an incredible turn of events. Here we see a glimpse of pagan law. The law of the Medes and Persians said, on account of the guilt of one, all his kindred must perish. That's wicked. But that's what they did. Note that the lions were very hungry. How do we know? Because the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever got to the bottom of the den. How many people was this? All 122 conspirators and their families? Or perhaps there were less who who were the ones who came and accused Daniel that final time. We don't know for sure, but it's a lot of people and it's a very terrible scene. Note this. Daniel was a true believer. So if Daniel gets eaten by lions, Daniel goes straight to heaven. So it's all good for Daniel. But if his haters who weren't true believers, got eaten by lions and they die, they go to hell because of their sin and their rebellion against God. This is very, 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 very serious. Well, in response to Daniel's deliverance, King Darius went on and issued a counter-decree nullifying his original edict. In that decree, he commanded fear and reverence for the God of Daniel, the living God who rescues, the living God who saves. You say, but I thought that he couldn't do that. Well, who's going to hold him accountable? I mean, they're all dead. Right? So we find that through the faithfulness of one man who was filled with love, who wouldn't compromise... God is now greatly glorified throughout the land. And look, the people are allowed to freely worship and to pray, which is the heartbeat of every true believer. Lord, help us to be more like Daniel. Bold, strong, faithful, uncompromising, lovers of God. Will we cower? Or will we continue to glorify God when the real pressure comes? Let alone the daily pressures of glorifying God day by day by day. Lord, help us to love God so much that we never cower, never, never, never. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that's filled with love, that we would be a church that's filled with conviction, that we would love You so much that we put You first and glorify You above all else. Not pridefully, not arrogantly, but lovingly and humbly like Daniel. Help us to stand strong. Help us to not compromise when the real pressure comes. And may we be bold because we are compelled by love. Use us, we pray. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.